Hey there, friends of Holy Shenanigans Podcast. I'm thrilled to share that I'll be recording live from the Wild Goose Festival this July 11 through 14. Wild Goose Festival is a transformational community grounded in faith-inspired social justice. It's a one-of-a-kind gathering that brings together activists, artists, and seekers from all walks of life to explore justice and art, spirituality, and community. The festival will take place at Van Hoy Farms in Union Grove, North Carolina, and I'd love for you to join me there. From engaging workshops to inspired panels and interactive experiences, Wild Goose has something for everyone. So mark your calendars and let's be part of this incredible community that is committed to making a positive impact in the world. For more information, visit www. WildGooseFestival.org. As one of my followers, use a discount code A-TLE24. That's A-TLE24. And you'll get $50 off the price of an adult weekend ticket. We will see you there at the Wild Goose Festival to connect, to build community, and to work for social justice. Tara Lamont Eastman, a creative, a feminist, and a pastor. In this week's lectionary reading from John 6, we hear a well-known story about Jesus feeding the 5,000 and the following conversation he had with his students, reminding them, do not be afraid. In this story, the number of the people isn't mentioned, other than being large. But this Jesus story is one that appears in all four Gospels, and that is where I'm gathering the number of 5,000. If you'd like to do a full comparison of these stories, you can do a simple Google search to get all of the specifics for the Matthew, Mark, and Luke story of the feeding of the 5,000. But quick word about this number once more. The number of people that are counted here are 5,000 in the other readings. And this represents just the men who were gathered. But the men were not traveling solo. They had their whole families tagging along. So when you think of a large crowd, this is actually a really large crowd. A conservative guess of numbers could be 15,000 people strong. And all these 15,000 people were hungry. Jesus asks Philip upon seeing the crowd, Where can we buy bread for all these people to eat? And Philip begins to panic. It would cost more than six months' wages to feed them. At face value, this was an impossible situation. There was no Grubhub or a grocery store. There was no budget for this expense. But there were lots and lots of hungry people. And then Andrew, one of Jesus' disciples, finds a child who's packed his lunch for that day. Let's see if this one child with this one lunch of five loaves of bread and two fish can solve our problem today. Yes, of course. This is the answer. At this point, Jesus, in what I imagine to be his best mom voice, tells his disciples to sit down. 
Jesus gives thanks for the bread and the fish that the child shared with him and begins to break it up to serve the crowd that is seated all around him, 15,000 or more strong. The people eat until they're satisfied. Jesus instructs the disciples to gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. And the 12 disciples gather 12 baskets of bread and fish. That's right, 12 disciples and 12 baskets. This is a miracle, right? The details of how the five loaves of bread and the two fish multiplied to feed thousands of people and provide 12 baskets of leftovers is not exactly clear. But a perspective I consider, in addition to Jesus' power and ability, is the power of sharing. I wonder that if one child packed their lunch that day, that there could have been others who had some fish and bread packed away. I wonder when they witnessed the generosity of this child, his ability not to be afraid to share what he had, maybe prompted the other 14,998 people or more to open their lunch bags and offer them to Jesus so that everyone had enough to eat. Jesus asks his students to feed the crowds and they found a child with a small sack lunch to solve the problem. Jesus gave thanks for the meal and by a miracle of sharing or a miracle that is beyond my understanding, the crowd was fed. And once they were fed, they decided that Jesus would be their next king right now. Jesus, knowing the crowd's intentions, sneaks away up a mountain and the disciples take off and get aboard a boat heading to the next place in their travels. This is a day, let me tell you. A violent storm kicks up and the disciples are without Jesus, and they are fairly and sincerely afraid. The sea became rough and strong wind was blowing. When they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus walking on the sea and coming near the boat and they were terrified. But he said to them, It is I. Do not be afraid. Then they wanted to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the land toward where they were going. This dramatic story is one of Jesus inviting his disciples over and over again to do not be afraid. When there wasn't enough food to feed the crowds, do not be afraid. When the crowds became unruly, do not be afraid. When you are caught in a boat in a storm, do not be afraid. In the Bible, some have counted this phrase, do not be afraid, to occur for 365 times. And while that number is inflated, unlike the crowd of the 5,000 in this story, this theme of do not fear is a common one in scripture. And if you really want to know the answer, you can look through your own commentary in the back of your Bible yourself. Even in this day where everything and anything seems to happen for Jesus and the disciples, the statement, fear not, rings out loud and clear and calls them to action to share what they have in order to help one another. This week's Holy Shenanigans story comes from a particular place of vulnerability for me. As a content warning, I'll be talking about my experience with thyroid cancer and how I held on to those words. Do not be afraid. I'd been serving as a pastor in the ELCA for about a year when I found the lump on my neck. I have allergies, so I just thought it was a swollen gland. But when I showed the bump, I will call B for short, to my husband, he said, you're calling the doctor on Monday, right? 
I called the doctor. I saw the doctor. They referred me to an ENT for another look, as well as an ultrasound and lots of blood tests. Do not be afraid. Despite my mantra, fear was in that space of this can be something or nothing. And I resigned to the fact that B and I were going to be hanging out together for a while. Do not be afraid. The day I went to the ENT, I was not supposed to see the doctor, but the nurse. The nurse came in and said hello, and after taking one look at me and B, quickly excused herself. When she returned, she had the doctor with her. The doctor said hellos and explained, we are going to do a biopsy right now. So before I could say biopsy, the procedure was already happening in the chair I just sat down in. All right, do not be afraid. After the needle biopsy was done, the ENT said surgery was needed. And while he was not sure what all was involved, that it would be necessary for me to have at least a partial thyroidectomy. As far as the possibility of cancer and further treatments, that remained to be seen. For now, surgery number one was the priority and would need to be scheduled ASAP. Do not be afraid. ASAP turned out to be a several month wait due to the queue of limited surgery space at that small hospital. June, July, August, and finally September arrived. The afternoon before my surgery date, I got a call from the doctor's office and I thought it was just the final check-in. But the doctor had injured their back and could not do the surgery the next morning. That said, he wanted this surgery to happen quickly. He said my case was too interesting for him to trust anyone else locally to do it. So he referred me to a large hospital in a close city, one that specialized in cancer. Do not be afraid. Well, B, it looks like you and I will be hanging out a bit longer than we expected. The appointment in the city hospital finally arrived. All in the same day, I had labs, an appointment with a voice specialist, and the head of the head and neck surgery department. By the end of the day, we had a plan, a surgery date, and that would happen the following week. Do not be afraid. Three days before my second surgery date, I got sick with a ridiculous case of influenza A. So once again, my surgery had to be postponed for another week. Do not be afraid. Finally, yes, finally, the third surgery date was set for October 16, 2017. That journey that began on a random Friday in May led me along a wandering and wild path where everything and anything seemed possible to happen and came to pass. By now, B and I had become quite close. What would it be like to be separated from B after all these months of close cohabitation? Do not be afraid. One of the biggest fears I had about the surgery was not first and foremost the possibility of cancer. My biggest fear was the risk of losing my voice if B was involving my vocal cords. My voice was and is precious to me for singing, for speaking, for communication with my loved ones. The idea of losing my voice was to me what feeding the 15,000 was for the disciples. It was, or in my case, needed to be impossible. Do not be afraid. 
When I woke up from my surgery, there was a box of tissues sitting on my chest. Apparently, my fears and worries, with the help of the anesthesia, had poured from my eyes. The medical staff told me, don't worry about it. We are fond of the weepers. I was so tired. B was gone, but fear was still there, and I needed to know if my voice had left me too. Ever so tenderly, I attempted to make a tiny noise, and mm, I did. Tears rolled down my face. I made a sound. I tried again louder this time. As I dozed and tried to sleep off the anesthesia over and over again, I'd wake up and and cry and wake and and cry. Fear was there, but I did not want to be fear anymore. Even with the many more questions left to be answered, even with the possibility of more surgery, that little hmm was my declaration to acknowledge my fear, but not to be it. Do not be afraid. That evening, the doctor that was assisting in my surgery case came in to check on me once more, and all I could do was cry and hum and thank them for their care for me. They explained that the hospital had a special nerve sensor to help the doctor know if they were anywhere near my vocal cords. An alarm would sound, and the surgeon would make a correction in approach. This is where I imagine the game of something like Operation. Later on, I learned that that small hospital, that first hospital that I was supposed to have my surgery, did not have this tool, this vocal cord sensor. And I was very thankful that my first surgery had been canceled. Could that have been some holy shenanigans afoot? Do not be afraid. After surgery and when my pathology report came back, I learned that B the bump was not cancerous. However, that there had been a small occurrence of papillary thyroid cancer hiding inside the left portion of my thyroid gland that had been removed. It's important to say that any cancer diagnosis is not one anyone wants to hear. But when you hear, we caught it early, We have clean margins. We don't think you need chemo or radiation, and we'll just keep a watch on you, is incredibly good news. In a strange and some would say miraculous way, be the bump was a bodily red flag that something wasn't right and was the result of undiagnosed Hashimoto's disease. Be the bump was not a direct connection to cancer. Without B the bump, my story could have been much different. I can say sincerely thank you to B the bump. You not only saved my voice, but my life as well. Apparently, our time of sharing actually was miraculous. The word miracle can kick up lots of feelings. Even in sharing this story of my experience of cancer, I'm tentative about using the word miracle. I'm sensitive to the fact that others' stories with health struggles have had different results. I don't want to be crass or insensitive to the griefs of others, but I do need to tell this story for my own purpose, to possibly remind people to be on the lookout for things like thyroid cancer. Remember to check your neck. 
as well as to think about the word miracle in a new way. How would you define the word miracle? For me, this miracle was weird. It was weird that Be the Bump led me on a journey to discover cancer cells that otherwise would have gone unseen. That's miraculous. It also was a coincidence miracle. Apologies to my ENT's back injury. He recovered and all is well. But because of the cancellation of that first surgery, I ended up in a hospital that had the tools necessary to bring the best results in my care. A note here, that necessary tools for best patient care should not be optional, but that is for another time. Third, it was a sharing miracle. It was a miracle that my voice, my life were not silenced by this dis-ease. I don't take it for granted that I can speak today. And while I may not have realized it when I first started this podcast, I think this is an important why I share Jesus stories, holy shenanigans, and poems with you in this way, with my voice. My particular miracle is part weird, part coincidence, and part sharing. Do you have any examples of unusual miracles? Have you fed 15,000 people with a sack lunch? Did you come to a place of healing after a time where anything and everything happened and you came out the other side with a story that needs to be shared? I don't think that miracles need to be recognized by thousands to be considered miracles. I think if we look close enough, there are glimmers of the miraculous everywhere. Remember, do not be afraid. I try to never say things like, everything happens for a reason. I had some folks tell me that when I got sick, and it was not helpful. I think the truest statement in response to when terrible things happen is, everything happens. This idea that everything happens comes from the writer Kate Bowler. She is a writer a wife, a mom, a professor, and a person living with cancer. She wrote the book and has a podcast by the same title, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies I've Loved. In her book and podcast, she speaks honestly about her experience with living with cancer as well as living in the space of not being fear. She recognizes the presence of fear, but refuses to be it in her words and work and what she has taught has also helped me to refuse to be fear as well. She writes in Everything Happens. I can't reconcile the way the world is jolted by events that are wonderful and terrible, the gorgeous and the tragic, except that I am beginning to believe that these opposites do not cancel each other out. I see a middle-aged woman in the waiting room of the cancer clinic her arms wrapped around the frail frame of her son. She squeezes him tightly, oblivious to the way he looks down at her sheepishly. He laughs after a minute, a hostage of her impervious love. Joy persists somehow, and I soak it in. The horror of cancer has made everything seem like it is painted in bright colors. I think the same thoughts again and again. Life is so beautiful. Life is so hard. 
To learn more about Kate's work, visit her at katebowler.com and take a look at her newest book, No Cure for Being Human. Earlier this week, I had a few medical tests. They were no way in relation to my previous issue. They were standard tests. But even in their normalcy, I was reminded of the feelings of being a patient at a cancer hospital. Even in remission for almost four years now, I don't think that feeling or association of being the patient goes away. In an effort to capture those feelings, I wrote a poem, and I hope it helps both you and me recognize that fear is a part of life, but we don't have to be fear. This week's poem is called, Do Not Be Afraid. This is a normal checkup. It's not even at that hospital. This is a routine test. Do not be afraid. I can't help but remember, I think it must be all those white coats of that normal day that wasn't normal at all. Do not be afraid. I remember the lab, the surgery suite, the IV pole, recovery rooms, and hospital bed. Do not be afraid. I remember flowers being delivered, CT scans, ginger ale with crushed ice, salty broth, and a box of tissues resting on my chest. Do not be afraid. I remember the love of family and friends, dinners dropped off, rides to doctor's appointments, piles of cards in the mail. Do not be afraid. I remember coffee carts, therapy dogs with personalized vests, Rice Krispie treats from the coffee shop, and t-shirts from the gift shop. Do not be afraid. I remember the beautiful paintings that made that hospital look more like a museum than a hospital. Music wafting through the lobby and the ringing of the bell that meant the return of normal days for some and in its silence, none. Do not be afraid. There will be tests, appointments, uncertainty. This is the stuff of life. All of it is a miracle. In all of it, we recognize the presence of fear, but we are resolved to never become it. Do not be afraid. Thank you for joining me for Holy Shenanigans. You're invited to join me on this unpredictable spiritual adventure that is always sacred and never stuffy. Thank you, dear hearts, for listening, sharing, and writing a review of Holy Shenanigans podcast. Until next time, do not be afraid.